Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. How significant is it that UFOs, UAPs, are in the 2023 U.S. National Defense Authorization Act? How does reincarnation work with dementia patients? Who are the tree people? Hello and welcome to the 974th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, coming to you from WOON AM and FM Radio in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, on the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live on YouTube and via TuneIn.com. I'm Ben, that was Paul, and today we bring you an open line show that's a little different. And if you'd like to join us, you can call us from anywhere, that's 401-766-1240, or email paul at behindtheparanormal.com. I'm uh, kind of ashamed to say that we don't pay enough attention to the Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno YouTube channel. Uh, the weekly shows are uploaded, and there are some special videos we produced years ago, but there are hundreds of questions and comments that have gone unanswered. So today we will address some of those on this open line show. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so let's um, begin. We've got to pile them here. Uh... This is from Aiden. I don't know where Aiden's from. That's not so obvious on YouTube as it is on Facebook. Uh, his question comes from the November 6th, 2022 show with Jillian Harris. <clears throat> Okie dokie. And uh, Aiden writes to us. So what happens with dementia? Does the spirit body leave gradually or temporarily fade as the brain decays? Well, that's the dementia thing. Um that is, um, I'm not sure that's the right question from our point of view. Uh, in the excellent show with Jillian Harris, which I say was on November 6th, and you can look at it on, you, you can uh, hear it on uh, iTunes and all the rest, <clears throat> certainly at our website, BehindTheParanormal.com, there was um, some question about what reincarnation really is. One thing we always bring up is that uh, time, from all indications of uh, from Einstein all the way to quantum mechanics, is that time does not exist in a way that is past to future. That's a matter of our consciousness. And of course, when, once you get down to it, all of life is a matter of our consciousness. So what uh, we pretty much said was that you, you're having a parallel lives that's our opinion and when you have that uh the notion of whether you have dementia in any one facet of your super life a term we had to invent just to talk about this sort of thing is irrelevant uh to your uh subconscious lives where you simply would you're, you're living parallel lives. Now, it's a, it's a difficult concept. Um, not everybody agrees with it. But uh, there are two key factors. One is, as we mentioned, that all time is simultaneous, so past and future are happening at the same time. And also that all possible outcomes exist in the quantum multiverse where we have this super life, which is all the facets we're living in. It's one big life. And uh, the more positive you make your own life, the more positive your whole being will be. And I think that that's pretty much the message of spirituality. So um, 
I don't I don't know if the question would really apply. I thank Aiden for sending it, uh, but um, I, I don't really think it's the right question. With with all due respect, uh, I think it's an interesting question um, because, as as with all things in life, there is more than one layer to all of it, and I think we have this this very um, simplistic black and white view of the world uh, due to a lot of modern factors where it's like, okay, well, it's just this one thing and then that's it. But there's some really interesting research that's been done on dementia over the last couple of decades. And, um, there's one really interesting thing. I can't remember off the top of my head where it's from, but, um, there's a link between Alzheimer's and a couple of other forms of dementia where, uh, like any sort of trauma can kind of affect it. So it's yeah. So it's it, whether it's like physical, emotional, or 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 you know psychological, whatever that 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 can that can affect um, you know your your memory over time. There's also the chemi- the you know the biochemical component to that, where heavy metals introduced into your body also can affect your your mentality uh, or not your mentality can affect you you know mentally with you know dementia and all that stuff. So like mercury poisoning can lead to dementia, um, and, you know, lead poisoning can, and any sort of heavy metals introduced into your body can really, can really do some damage. Um, and, you know, that's, that's just, you know, one, those are just two various components of the experience. And, and unfortunately, we don't have the ability, well, we don't have the luxury of saying, well, it's just one thing or the other, because it's all linked together. You know, the, the physical, the psychological, the spiritual, the multiversal, all these things are happening all at the same time, and they're all bits and pieces of the whole picture. And this idea of of spirit body, I, I really wish we got more into that because there's there's that's such an interesting way of putting it. Because there is sort of a portion of us that does experience these things in, in a certain way, you know, and um, it, it would, and, and it's not necessarily separate. I think we we tend to view these things as separate, and you know they don't they don't they don't mix. Mm. It's like uh, you know oil and water, right? You know it doesn't doesn't mix. And but here's the thing, it does because you can't think of it like oil and water. We have to think of it like a soup, and in that soup there are a whole bunch of ingredients that all lead to a taste. You know, if you separate the carrots from a chicken soup, you're going to have a different taste. You know, it's still a, it's a soup. But it won't be the same soup. And to get this whole soup that is the human experience, we need all the ingredients in it. So with that in mind, the sort of holistic view of this, I, I think I, I think it's it's not necessarily that it's that it's separate. I think it's that all of these things are experienced at the same time. So if if you're you know, if, if if you're experiencing all of, all of these things in, in dementia, I, I I wish I could tell you from experience, but I can't because <laughs> I, I have I haven't been there yet. But ex, but you know, well, seeing, I might be there sooner than you will. Well, here's hoping you don't. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um. But you know, just just from um, you know, experiencing it through others, like you know, our my my mother's grandmother, great grandma, who we we had we would go visit all the time when I was younger. Um, she had you know dementia. And as, as time went on, you know, she sort of regressed. And she was from Belarus, so she couldn't really speak 
you know, she could speak English, but then as time went on, she just forgot how to speak English and sort of regressed to the point where she could only speak Russian. And, you know, she, her, her word order would be wrong, but, you know, she, she basically reverted to what she knew as a kid. And, and, you know, it was eventually, it was just like she just kind of, she, you know, she, she couldn't remember anything anymore. And she could, she couldn't even, you know, communicate with us effectively. So, I mean, at, at that point, you know, I was, I was young when that, when that happened, but it's, it's a, it, it was an experience because it's, she wasn't gone. You could tell there was there was something there, but it was changed. It was different. It was connected with something else, you know. And it's just like the rest of our lives, right? So it's like you know, just because somebody leaves town doesn't mean they're gone forever, you know. It's like that that web of of relationships, you know, stays with us. And I think that's that's holistic in the human experience. I think that that's very uh, profound. Um, I. I I have really no evidence for this, but I, I have a suspicion that maybe things like dementia or um, less serious forms of that sort of thing, white matter disease or whatever, are almost, at the risk of being misunderstood, almost merciful in the sense of your uh, consciousness is sharing more in a facet of yourself that was better, happier, uh, easier in many ways. Now that, that that might be just baloney, but I've always no. It's kind of funny you say that because I was talking to my coworker about this, um, who she was talking about how you know her her mother had had Alzheimer's, and um, she she passed away right when like I think right when COVID started, um, and uh, my my coworker was saying to me that you know when when it first started happening. You know, her her mom was horrified because she she knew it was happening. But mm. then over time, you know, she became just unaware, blissfully unaware of it. Yeah. And um, she was like, yeah, you know, it was almost. She was like, it was like a small mercy, and she said it just like that. That it was really? it was almost a small mercy because mm. I guess a nurse told her um, that dementia is always harder for the families than it is for the patient. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I I think I think maybe there is something to that. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's go uh, switch to a question from Peter Shelley in uh, Bogota, Colombia, our good friend. Uh, it's a deceptively simple one. <laughs> it's always the simple ones that, yeah. that take up a whole show. So, <laughs> Peter, you're opening a can of worms. Um, are there any recent cases you've been asked to investigate uh, that you are able to share? Well, uh, in a nutshell, no. Uh, I mean, I kind of have. You know, we, 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 you can. Well, sort um, of. You first. A lot, a lot of my cases. You know, we don't always work together. I mean, because you know, we like to, but you know, people come to us separately. Um, being involved in the uh, experience and resource team of MUFON, any cases that come our way through that, and, and I'm there to help deal with the uh, crossover phenomena that that uh, often take place in conjunction with. Uh, abductions or that sort of thing. Uh, they're all confidential and I cannot discuss them. Uh, on the other hand, we continue to work diligently on our uh, flap area cases, particularly Pennsylvania, uh, which has uh, expanded somewhat and we're still, again, it's still a new case. We've only been working on it since 2016. Uh, so, there are some uh, other phenomena we're looking at that have been going on there as flap area 
as we say, is many different kinds of paranormal phenomena that occur side by side in a certain geographical area. And uh, we moved, um, if there's anything to this new material, and we mentioned it before, it's up in Tioga County in central PA. So, Ben, what? Uh, so, at my 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 current job, um, I my uh, a few of my coworkers were saying, "Oh, this this building's haunted, or or whatever," and like there's all sorts of stuff going on, and um, they they did an investigation on their own. That in yeah yeah I know <laughs> they were they were they were good about it though. I got I got to give them credit. They mm-hmm. they they did the best they could. They didn't provoke anything. Well, they so. know who you are. They do, <laughs> and and so they um so th- so they they were showing me their findings, and um we we moved into a new office in the basement, and they were doing a lot a lot of work on the building, uh, particularly on the um on the fire suppression system. So uh, for those who are are not savvy to large buildings and building code. Um, Depending on the size of your building, you require a certain uh, main pipe that re- that has to basically bring water into the building, and um, it, w- it was a pretty pretty sizable pipe. It was like eight inches by eight inches, um, and that was right behind our our poor accountant's uh, office. And so they had to cut open the wall to get in to replace the pipe because it was leaking and they didn't want, you know, this newly renovated side of the building to get mold. So they had to, you know, take it all out. It was a whole thing. Um, but while it was open, there was, uh, it was revealed that there was a fieldstone foundation. So it was an old building, right? Um, I'm not going to say where it is for privacy's sake. I don't want a bunch of people, you know, showing up and with a bunch of, e- you know, EMF meters or whatever. <laughs> um, so, so it's uh, so it's a, it's an older building um, in an older town in in Massachusetts. Uh, that was like a former mill city. So, so it's it's right by water. Um, and you got you. I don't know a ton about the geotech, but if I had to to put my money on it, I'd probably say sandy soils. Mm. Um, and you know, you have a whole lot of things that can conduct electricity, right? Yeah. So, you know, my, my coworkers came to me like, oh, there's a bunch of orbs and stuff. I'm like, well, I'm not really surprised because it's like it's right by, right where the sprinkler main is. So it's like you got a ton of water rushing into the building. You have fieldstone foundation, so who knows what kind of stones are there, you know, whether it's like quartz or something like that. It's like <laughs> all sorts of stuff that can conduct electromagnetic activity. But there's been reports in this building of just like a lot of weird stuff. Um, occasionally shadow people being seen mm. on, like, the upper floors. Um, you know, there's the typical ghost story stuff where, like, oh, this building was burned down, a bunch of people, you know, were burned inside of blah, 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 blah. And I, I don't know a ton about the history, so I won't, I won't, you know, say anything I don't know a lot about. But I, I, I do I do think it's interesting. It's it's ironic because where I work now is right across from where, you know, my coworkers got all this footage. And so it's like, okay, yeah, you know, we'll... You know, if, if I see a bunch of orbs flying around, then we'll know. But I mean, I don't really get a bad feeling about it. It's just kind of like, um, I don't know. It's just, a, it's just something that that kind of happens. Yeah. I'm also not particularly focusing on it. I'm just because I have I have so many other things I have to do. Of course, that it's like ah, I'm not going to bother interacting with it. But I mean, we'll see. So I'll, I'll keep you updated on it. Of course, thank you. Yeah, before we leave, the, uh, go to another question. Uh, we, we get reports all the time, you know, aside from MUFON and aside from uh, flap areas, from people who simply write in literally from all over the world. 
and ask advice. But 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 we don't consider that a case. Uh, I always I've said this before, but I always get a kick out of these people who say, "Oh, uh, I've investigated thousands of cases," you know, and you're you're what forty forty years old. I mean, what do you consider a case? Mm. Even the Warrens, they were at it as least at least as long as I've been, and. Uh, you know, they would say we investigated thousands of cases. Well, what do you consider a case? How long do you spend on it? What effort do you put into it? Do you actually go there and spend time? As I say, we, we work on cases for years. Uh, so that's just my two cents on that. Uh, we have another, before we go back to YouTube, <clears throat> uh, our dear friend Phil, uh, who is a show reporter, who moved from the Litchfield Triangle in Connecticut down to Savannah, Georgia, it promises a uh, report from there soon, mm. and sent out a question today. Yes, and uh, Phil writes to us, Paul, in your fascinating book, uh, Dancing Past the Graveyard, you write about uh, entering a time slip in an attic in Yonkers, New York, and speaking with a confused man who may have died in a plane crash in a parallel world. Uh, from what you wrote, he seems to be a bit, quote-unquote, stuck at first, as he adjusts to one of his parallel lives. Can you tell us briefly now your perception on why he was briefly stuck in that church and could not get out? Well, in my interpretation, um, thank you, uh, What? and again, at this point, that was very early on, I had not uh, actually uh, worked out some of these theories that we use today. It was cases like this, that uh, really pushed me over the uh, the cliff there to realize that the old ideas just weren't good enough if you were open-minded to what was really going on. Uh, what happened was that uh, these people had heard uh, strange noises in the attic, feeling of a presence, this kind of thing, and so naturally they assumed it was a dead guy, okay? Because uh, what else could it be? So what we would, what I did was to go uh, into that attic and spend uh, several nights um, in a sort of a meditative state just to see what I would pick up. Now, I'm always very wary of this. I have not done it often, but I have had some interesting contacts with this. This uh, person, <clears throat> pardon my voice, this person uh, remembered, his memory changed as we as we were in contact. Now, he was afraid of me because he said he was in this stone church in Virginia and he, uh, okay, uh, that he um, had a memory of this plane crash and then all of a sudden, as we spoke over time, his memory changed and it turned out that he was now the pastor of this apparently Episcopal church, Anglican church, and uh, I actually heard the door open and people coming in for choir practice. So, I mean, to tell him, I said, what the heck was this about? And apparently I may have witnessed his transition, or translation, as it were, from one facet of his super life to another, where he was a different person in a different place. And, um, you know, the phenomena surrounding this would usually be interpreted as a spirit or a ghost, but everything was very physical. So that's essentially what that was about. It is in the book, uh, Dancing Past the Graveyard, along with a number of other cases of that kind. 
So, Phil, thank you for sending that in. I hope I answered your question. And we have on the phone our cousin Rick Eno, our show reporter from Northern California. Good morning, Rick. Good morning and Merry Christmas to everybody. Well, thank you very much. And the same to you and the Eno clan out west. Uh, <laughs> so what's cooking out your way? Well, I got, uh, I guess two or three things that are related to the show today. Um, one, you were discussing orbs and lights, and actually uh, the cases that have been coming through to me, both on MoveBonnet and other ways, uh, have been to do with orbs and lights. Um, one, uh, in San Francisco, very close to the water, the event lasted over an hour, and it was witnessed by several people, and it was a small, bright light with web light strings, um, and it would change position and static. And um, the next one was in the Sierra <coughs> here in California, and it took place over a mountain, and that only lasted about three minutes. But there were multiple lights, and they seemed to have intention and direction, but all stayed within the um, the mountaintop. And it was something that was not witnessed on one night, but on several nights, and uh, the witness would bring more people to see it, and it was witnessed by more people and more people. So... Um, we're seeing an increase in orbs and uh, lights, and some of these orbs uh, in that second case have actually uh, followed people. So, um, you know, there's a lot more to unearth in this, um, but it's definitely upticking, at least in our area. And the interesting thing is that these orbs that are being reported are always near water or, or, or a major river system, which is the, the Sierra Nevadas, which is when Ben made that comment about water earlier. I was like, oh, wait. Yeah, there's something something going on here. It's like I anticipated you. <laughs> yes, which is, brings up my next piece after we're done talking about this. Okay, uh, you want to take our break a little early? Uh, yeah, you know what? Uh, Might as well, huh? Yeah, we'll do that. No, no stay on the line there, Rick. Uh, you're Hello. listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON twelve forty AM. 99.5 FM in New England's beautiful but chilly Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back. Stick with us. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Richards, and among the items we'll be putting up for bid on the Monday Milk Fund Radio Auction are a Toastmaster 1.5 quart slow cooker, a Nick Jr. Top Wings collector pack, a gift box and bag from Jerry's Bluffing Boutique, and a pitcher and a candle set, plus gift cards from Ye Old English Fish and Chips, the Beef Barn, McDonald's, Chan's, Duncan, Burger King, and Executive Auto Wash. So join me, Joe Callahan, and our special guest auctioneers, Nicole Brian from Bourget & Associates, and the Vice President of the Woonsocket Teachers Guild, Dave Andrews, for all the fun on the Monday Milk Fund Radio Auction from 4 to 5, here and only on ON Radio. ON Radio. Local and live at 99.5 FM. And welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON Radio, AM and FM. And let's get back to our caller here who has none other than our cousin Rick, occasional co-host of the show and our Northern California show reporter. So Rick, what's next? Okay, so um, just give me a, give you a little background. So I'm a, I'm a pretty uh, uh, constant researcher. Um, I, it's something I do, uh, as you know, as part of my life. So it's not everything, but it's something I do. And I've, I've seen a number of cases at this point. Um, but this happened to me uh, after I had a case. Um, I would actually wouldn't call it a case. I had met somebody who just randomly who was having... Um, 
You'd consider them a, a medium type, but kind of unrecognized. And I was talking to them, and, and they were telling me about um, instances that they had had, about uh, visions, seeing people transform, and things like that. So I thought that was really interesting. But what, ha- what followed that is uh, some things I've witnessed, and I'd love your input on this, if, if you may. Sure. So I'm someone that's, uh, you know, I believe in Jesus Christ, and I pray all the time, every night, in fact, and I have my belief system. Well, one night I was uh, falling asleep, and um, I woke up, and I didn't, I didn't really didn't know how to discuss this. It happened a while ago, Paul, but I didn't call you. I probably should have. And I was on the ceiling looking down at my body. And this has never, ever, never in my life has anything like this happened. And when I realized that's what it was, I woke up immediately. And I was in my bed. I was looking at the ceiling. I was really distraught about it because it felt very real. So uh, I went along, like, okay, I'm going to just file that away. Uh, and other nights progressed, and I would find myself in houses of people that I know randomly. There was no one else there, but I recognized the rooms. I walked through the rooms. Um, and it felt very, very real. And, again, I, I didn't know what to do with it. I kind of just shut up about it um, and said, okay, I'm just having lucid dreams. But then I started noticing things uh, outside of uh, dreaming, uh, just things I'd notice more. Uh, it's like numbers would start popping up. I would wake up every night at a certain time. Uh, consistently, it's still actually happening. And um, I always get the feeling now when I'm uh, uh, in certain places or at certain times that I'm not alone. Now, I want to preface all this. Um, I understand this world exists outside of this. I have complete respect for people who are mediums and so forth and understand that. Um, But this experience for me as a researcher and as a person that it's happening to is very, very new. And it's a little unsettling. Um, the dreams haven't stopped. Um, I've woken up after that looking down at my body again, and um, I wake up. So I, I, this calls for me. I'd like to get your input on what is possibly going on and what I can possibly do about it. Hmm. Well, it's a common story. Uh, very often as one ages, this can happen. Um, I think it's, um, it reminds me of the, the, the prophecy of the, of the prophet Joel in the Old Testament. Uh, young men will see, will see visions and old men will dream dreams. Not to say you're an old man, Rick, but as uh, <laughs> one who knows, yeah, I'm already there. Um, the usual interpretation of that sort of thing is that you, uh, if, if you have developed that uh, ability or tendency, is that uh, your astral body will separate from your physical body and go floating around. Um, I know lots of people who believe this. Um, in my particular interpretation, uh, I don't like the dualism that that, implies that you know you're 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 not a whole being you're all these different parts and we are but it's a matter of interpretation so i 
What I think is happening, and I'm a minority in this, is that uh, with all possibilities existing, you're shifting consciousness. You're not necessarily, parts of you are not necessarily separating from each other, but your consciousness uh, has the ability to move around. And it, again, that's another kind of hard concept, but that's um, how I essentially uh, interpret that. Now, there was the uh, the old notion of the silver cord that would connect your body to your spirit or whatever as it separated. And I, I had a, a very dear friend uh, here in Rhode Island to whom this used to happen all the time, and he was terrified of it because he couldn't, he was afraid he wouldn't be able to get back into his body after these experiences. Uh, and as far as I know, he still has them. Uh, but um, what's happening to you, regardless of how it works, is really very common. Now, you ask how you can avoid it. Um, I would suggest, although sometimes meditation uh, and, and contemplative prayer can actually encourage this to happen, uh, what one hopes is that it wouldn't. It also tends to encourage flying dreams, which yeah. I don't know. I don't know anybody who doesn't like those, you know, because they're dreams. Um, great sense of freedom, etc. So I would say um, perhaps deepen your prayer experience because a lot of people don't realize prayer is not just saying words. That is the merest beginning. Prayer is something you are. It's a state of being. That came up with Jillian Harris on that November 6th show when Ben asked her what love is. And that's not an easy question. Even St. Paul had to answer that in Corinthians by saying what love is not. So an apophatic approach, as you'd say in theology. So I think it's a matter of um, taking it a step at a time, maybe deepening your prayer life. If you don't feel comfortable with this, uh, deepening your, your prayer life in a more contemplative way, and in a cautious way, because that could be misleading, uh, too. It, it's not easy, but it should give you more control. Uh, ben, you are you know all about hesychasm and things of that kind. Oh, that's a dangerous thing. Yeah, um, it is. So I think that we... I heard this lecture a really long time ago. By a really long time ago, I mean two years ago. And I really liked it because it made a lot of sense. And it made it explained a lot of things that I've experienced over time um, because the multiverse stuff is fun. I like it, but it, it 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 doesn't quite do the human experience justice because I think how we think about things is is how we determine reality um, and how we experience the world is very important. And I heard this this analogy of how. Ancient people um, sort of viewed something as simple as what a body is, and you know, you you ask you know somebody, well, what's a body? And they'll say, well, you know, um, arms, legs, eyes, head. You know, it's a series of connected nerves that are you know that that produce stimuli and whatever. And that's not wrong, but the body is so much more than that. The body is. I heard this definition I never forgot because it makes a lot of sense. It is a nexus of powers and potentialities. And that is very important because we are more than just eyes, arms, hands. We're not a meat machine, obviously. 
because we have thoughts, we have feelings, you know, and it's not this dualistic thing of, well, you know, I'm a meat machine, but I have this little guy inside me that controls all of it, like, you know, like the Men in Black movie. It's like, it's it's something, it's, we're a nexus of powers and potentialities, and I'll give you an example, and I've talked about this before, but for those who haven't heard it, it's, um, the way that, that ancient people would, would view things is super interesting. So the Bible is a great example because a lot of people in this particular area have know at least the bare basics of it, um, which is you know like they'll they'll say things in it like um, you know uh, Jonah fled bef- from before God's face, or you know they you know God walked in the garden, and it's like well does, does God have a body like what's 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 that all about? And the answer is yes because the body is a power nexus of powers and potentialities. The 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 idea of face, the face is a thing that we see, but it also is the power through which we communicate. Feet shows mobility. Feet are the power through which we move from place to place. So, you know, ears are are you know, when Christ says, you know, lend me your ears, it's not literally take off your ears and throw it like in life of Brian. It's like it's you know they it, it it's it's essentially it's through the power through which we hear and understand and comprehend and you know when I brought up that thing during um, our show with Jillian uh, Harris looping it back to the first question where you know there's that ancient word for spleen that the that the Greeks used splagnon it also meant to show compassion because. It's the same thing. It is very funny, isn't it? <laughs> I know you didn't laugh, but I'm trying to play it off. Like I get that. this vocal cord. So when so when we we think of our our bodies, it's not just you know these individual parts that kind of are like, well, they're not really you know they're they're not really connected. They are because these things can change and these powers potentialities can change because we can give things up and gain stuff. And, you know, you can do that in one way or another. A lot of us give up a lot of things through our phones because technology is a way through which we can exercise control in our world. So, you know, a smartphone does this thing that our brains will probably could do if we if we tried. So, like, memory, right? We give up memory so that we can have access to the Internet. You know, I don't need to remember what Dan Aykroyd was in. I can just look up the movies Dan Aykroyd was in. So it's... Right. So, all this to say, these powers and potentialities can change over time based on how we live our lives and how we, and the choices we make and the ability to order our reality. And there's four main ways we do this. We do this with, with language, culture, ritual, and, um, language, culture, ritual, and you know, art, basically, are the four ways that we that we do that. And so with with these ways that we order reality, it sort of informs our experience of it. So, dear cousin Rick, you are you have this this power and potentiality that has become a thing. Um, and it can be changed. Like all powers and potentialities can be changed. And and through through whatever means, whether it's whether it's through prayer by understanding prayer as it is an experience, but it's also an experience of of understanding order, right? So the opposite of that would be magic. Magic is what I want the world to be. Prayer is what the world ought to be. Um, and un- understanding what the world ought to be. And so, you know, if this is a disconcerting experience for yourself, which it, it 
it, it sounds like it, it is and it isn't. <laughs> um, yeah. if, if it is a disconcerting experience, there's a way in which, you know, you can sort of exert your will, I guess, so that you don't experience it. You know, I, I've, I've had the, the unfortunate, uh, well, I guess displeasure of, of having to sort of change the way I, I live my life a couple of times. And through that, my experience of it has changed. You know, some people right. would probably make the, make the assertion, uh, that I am a lot more insightful than I used to be. And, you know, it's, it's possible, yes, through a series of conscious decisions, I have given up some powers and gained some powers. And we think right. of it in in this way because we are a nexus of powers and potentialities. The goal of which is to uh, is to become fully human, and understanding that our reality is a holistic experience. All this stuff isn't isn't you know disintegrated. It's all part of the whole. And so and so, Rick, I would I would recommend if this is a disconcerting experience, perhaps it is that. Um, there's other things to focus upon. It's amazing what what you know fo- changing your focus of stuff can do. <laughs> um, right. It's it's like uh, I I made the conscious decision to focus a lot more on um, you know mundane things, unfortunately, because mundane things are hard and life is it can be very difficult. And so yeah. by placing one's focus on all these things, I have to focus on how am I going to pay bills and such. doesn't mean I, I focus entirely on mundane stuff. You know, I do the show every week, and I, I try to participate in as many um, uplifting experiences as I can. And that doesn't mean that it's not a spiritual thing, because all of it's connected. And so we we our goal here, Rick, is to experience life holistically. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, the, the permutation we are here now. You know, I'll say I'll say this real quick. Um, this all started uh, around the time I met that person, but I, I was also uh, because I used to use a CPAP tonight to sleep. But I started focusing on breath work hmm. and breathing through the nose, and I gave up the CPAP. I don't need it. Uh, that hmm. sort of meditative experience and that breathing. Since I started that experience, uh, and this came along with it. That was that was a thing. This sort of came along with it. Hmm. Um, I sleep eight hours easily every night. I was getting an hour for years, hour or two a night. And since I started the breath work and, uh, um, you know, which requires daily practice and forcing myself to breathe through my nose even when it was hard, Mm. um, I started sleeping better. Um, With that came came this experience I'm talking about. Yeah, it's a little disconcerting. I don't know whether to embrace it or run from it, but... It's definitely something I've never experienced before, and I'm kind of like, like, why now? <laughs> um, but I'm going to take your advice and kind of evaluate it. Maybe, maybe we can talk offline a little bit about it and uh, find a path. Yes, you have uh, ready access to us as family. So, yeah, Absolutely. yeah, I will definitely be talking to you guys about this. Well, you got plenty There's to more. think about. So, Rick, thanks yeah. for calling and thanks for all the information. Oh, no, thanks for having me, guys. Merry Christmas. Look forward to talking to you over the holidays. Very I good. will be home. Okay, excellent. Lovely. All right. All right. Um, so we, we, something else from YouTube there, Ben? And now for something completely different. Um, there's this very long comment from Josh in Australia. 
uh, from our show with Heidi Hollis back in, in 2021. We could we could dive into that if you'd there, like. There might be, might be a shorter one. Well, I don't know. It's... Uh, that is kind of a long one. Um, there is... Oh, the tree people. We can go with that. Oh, yeah, okay. Russ in Connecticut. Um, yeah, so so Russ writes to us. <laughs> Didn't mean to rhyme that. Um, I've been drawing and telling stories uh, for many years about the tree people in this area. Uh, this is in reference to our YouTube video on Litchfield Triangle posted back in 2016. Um uh, this one, a- this area, one drawing actually shows the tree person crawling down a tree trunk, and I've seen many interesting quote-unquote things through the years, uh, and continue to do so. Uh, grew up not too far from this area, and spend a lot of my summer time up there camping. Uh, basically, just drawn uh, to the place for so for many many reasons. You have a new subscriber in me, and uh, maybe at some point our paths will cross, and we can discuss our our experiences. <laughs> Stay creative and dream, and always <coughs> and always believe. But that's really interesting that that in that yeah. that same area we there she had experience with the tree person because we actually got a video of that thing coming down the tree mm. that night in 2010. I don't know if this listener is aware of that, but we were able to um, we just um, were talking to the little boy in the house that actually where where that flap area case began in 2005. One of your first cases as a uh, we lad mm. and the four-year-old boy at the time four-year-old boy in the house was saying that his friend ashwar was in the tree outside so we went out and it was you know dark uh country road and i pointed the uh, infrared camera up into the tree and sure enough uh, you can see this weird tadpole like white thing like crawling down the tree trunk and then disappearing so uh, that that is available, I believe, on YouTube. I think we put yeah. it in that, and uh, we have. Um, I'm pretty sure it's a part of that, that yeah, video you've too. Yeah, probably seen that, and uh, it's also in um, uh, the uh, Haunted House Diaries by William J. Hall, and it's one of our books too. Uh, I believe it's Behind the Paranormal too. Um, it, no, no, behind the paranormal, everything you know is wrong. Yes, yeah. I believe you're correct. Yeah, 2016 book. So uh, that's available out there, and uh, it, it was really quite jarring to see that. Now, um, the tree people, that that's pretty much what the little boy called Ashwar's people. Mm. And then our intrepid uh, colleague, Shane Searway, Happened to be doing some research, and he found out about the the Ashwar A C H U A R, the tree people of Central and South America. So uh, the first thing we have is how's this four year old kid in Connecticut? I don't know anything about this. And over the years, his relationship with this Ashwar went on for years and years. Uh, this Ashwar turned out to be a parasite. Mm. He was telling him to harm his his mother and the, the, a lot of negative stuff. So uh, they. You know, they got rid of that, and uh, things have been better since. But uh, all this um, grooming, as they call it today, of this young boy took place very early on by this parasite, apparently. Mm. So um, I'm really fascinated that uh, this uh, listener refers to the tree people in that area. So there may be more of them, uh, whether they have any actual relationship with this uh, tribe of people and. Central and South America is still an open question, but very interesting. 
Indeed. There's one. There's another one. There are people. Someone commenting on your uh, developing and interviewing skills. Ah, yes. I uh, think we should read that because you deserve it. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so Tammy from Question Mark writes to us. Uh, this is from a comment from our show from 2020, uh, January 12th, 2020, with uh, Dr. Paul J. Leslie, which I believe was on the uh, psychology of the paranormal, if I recall Yes, uh, the relationship between psychology and the paranormal. Yes, that was, was a really... quite close, actually. Oh, yeah, that was a really interesting Especially show. Especially with Carl Jung. Yeah, right, exactly. So, uh, Tammy writes, Ben, your skills as an interviewer has sharpened. Or your skill as an interviewer has sharpened. Uh, twice during the show, I thought of a question. Moments later, you asked it. Or, is this telepathy? <laughs> and if it is, thank you. <laughs> yeah. um, I like that. I thought that was charming. Yeah. I'm very apt. I, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, what's the word? Active listening. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and... Um, yeah, active listening and just paying attention to what's what's being said and trying to connect it, connect the dots. Because really, the the goal of the show is to just connect dots, you know, yes. in, in the best way we can with the with the amount of data that we have. Or help people connect their own dots. Yeah, and and I'm I'm guilty of that too, honestly. So I can't really judge. Yeah, because you know, there's always the there's can. always there's always some sort of confirmation bias, yeah. and it's very 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 hard to to get to that. Point, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So we can take even if it's part of one. Um, I guess I guess we can we can go with with Josh from his, his show with Heidi Hollis. Um, and, and uh, that was from August eighth, and twenty twenty one. Um, Josh writes, I can't trust her feelings, quote unquote, that these are evil. The problem is that the overwhelming emotion when encounter, encountering the shadow uh, being for her was fear. So it's impossible for her to have an object, uh, ob- any objectivity about her feelings at the time. She said she felt evilness. Unfortunately, that label is way too influenced by uh, preconceived ideas on what these things are. Fair enough. Uh, I also think she she is naive uh, to be attributing religious concepts to these entities. Also talking about the quote-unquote hat man... Um, she thinks that she's on the cusp of naming the entity is outrageous. She needs to uh, calm down and realize that she has no clue what any of this phenomenon really is. Typically, a uh, typical paranormal enthusiast getting carried away uh, with silly terminology, overconfident, and in over her head. Okay, well, that's a little rough on uh, our good friend Heidi Hollis, I think. Mm. But, uh, you know, I mean, it may be accurate. Uh, Heidi is um, the one who coined the term shadow people and uh, a number of others, including the hat man, etc., as uh, what we would consider archetypes, um, commonly viewed entities, if that's what they are, uh, that uh, shared across many different countries. Uh, I, I have seen, with my own eyes, on three different occasions, uh, the man with the checkered shirt. And uh, many of our cases have involved uh, the little blonde girl with flowers in her hair. And uh, nine times out of ten, at least in our cases, these have turned out to be parasites. Sometimes nothing is never seen again. Uh, but uh, particularly, you know, what is less threatening than a little girl with flowers in her hair? And uh, that was seen, for example, in a case right in our listing area here, uh, the Burrowville case that was too early for Ben. Started in 1998 and was a kind of ongoing. Actually, you did get involved later uh, w- with the shaman there. 
Mm. Yeah. Yes. And um, they would see this little girl with flowers in her hair. Was kind of, but there was just something wrong about it, you mm. know. So uh, in any case, uh, these archetypes certainly seem to be reported. On the other hand, uh, there is another known as the Slender Man. And that kind of started on the Internet. And uh, my information is the person just sort of made it up. And then people started seeing it. Oh, yeah. Uh, now, the thing is, what are you really seeing? I found uh, many times, even with the Mothman uh, phenomena, people will see it, see something, and they say, aha, that's got to be the Mothman, or that's got to be the Slender Man, you know, when it really might, might be nothing at all, or it might be some um, multiversal experience or some parasite or whatever. So I think it's, uh, as I think Ben might agree, it all depends on how we look at it, and it all depends on our own interpretation and our own consciousness. Yeah, because it's, you know, we're taking the data that we have and trying to construct a story out of it to make it make sense. Mm. And as I was saying earlier, connecting the dots, we order reality through a couple of different ways. One of those is language. So we, we're trying to figure out what's going on by making a story out of it. And, you know, it, it's funny because now there's a meme about the hat man. And it's oh, it, really? yeah, usually I've it has yeah, it's it has to do with like <laughs> with like taking too much Benadryl and then, <laughs> and then and then you and then you see the Hat Man and it's it's like it's kind of a joke. Um, <laughs> sorry, Heidi, but <laughs> but um, I I, I kind I get where Josh is coming from, but at the same time, it's like it it is true that we do we we bring to the experience what we what we already have. And we try to interpret it with the information we have. And I, I understand, you know, you try to be objective in, in an experience, but while you're experiencing it, it's very hard to be objective. <laughs> it's, well, it is, yes. It's, it's, you know, it's like you're in a car crash and you're like, it, it, it would be like you're, you're crashing, you're in a car crash, you're like about to, you're about to crash into a truck and you're like, you're, you're probably not thinking, hmm, you know, it, <laughs> You're probably not thinking rationally at that point, but I, I don't think it's a, it's really like you know a, a, something where you can think rational. I'm trying to think of an equitable experience, and that's I don't think that's that's going to do the trick. Um, I don't know. Let's say you're you're walking down a dark alley and there's some threatening guy there, right? It's like you're not thinking logically about it. You're you know you're kind of acting on on emotion or or instinct or whatever. Uh, if you if you happen to be you know like someone who can calm themselves down in order to think rationally about stuff, good for you. But a lot of people aren't like that, you know. And I I you know I I would understand that completely. So I I, I understand that it's hard to trust feelings and emotions, but at the same time, you know, in, we have instincts for a reason. And yeah. so, you know, it's it's probably not entirely fair to discount her experience completely, um, or even at all, because we didn't experience it. So right. I, so yeah, I, I'm always I, saying that, yeah. So it's so I, I I do understand the idea of you know attributing names to things to to like oh well it sounds kind of goofy and silly, but at the same time it's like we're working with the information we have, right. and unfortunately, we all view everything through our own personal experience. And so there is an objective reality that we're all experiencing it, that we're all experiencing, but we're all experiencing it differently. Mm. So you know, it's it it's it's hard to sit there and say, well, that's dumb because not none of us were there except Heidi. <laughs> well, that happens to me all the time. People say, well, the Bridgeport House, 
how could all that happen in such a tiny place, the, the poltergeist outbreak of 1974? I said, well, I was there. I saw the whole thing. Right. You know, and uh, with all due respect, you were not. So there you go. But uh, just um, briefly, uh, I, I find myself in a bad position sometimes as a, I've made my living as a journalist, sometimes as a freelance journalist, for the last 43 years. And uh, when these things ha- I try to approach the paranormal from that point of view. But a journalist is not supposed to become part of the story unless you're, you happen to be in a natural disaster or something and experience it. Mm. Well, that happens to me all the time because uh, in the last book, uh, This Dancing Past the Graveyard, is full of experiences that I had that, I, that are reported on. So I don't know. Uh, you can only be as objective as you can be. So anyway, let's get to our announcements, if you would, please, Ben. Sure thing. And so we shall start off with the New England Paris Parafest in Kittery, Maine. You can find us there April 22nd and 23rd, 2023. The event will kick off the week before. On this show, April 16th, when we have, an, when we have all the event headliners with us on a panel. And we'll be at the Para Expo 2023. Aboard the USS Salem at Quincy, Massachusetts, May 19th to 21st. We'll be among the speakers and we'll broadcast live from the ship, we hope, on Sunday, May 21st. And other events in 2023 for which we or I will be present include the Exeter UFO Festival in September and the Arizona Dowsers Conference in October. You can visit our show website, that's BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can find over 1,100 hours of our regular shows and the uh, special broadcast since 2008 from CBS Radio, Achieve Radio, and here on WOON, AM, and FM. You can also hear many of these broadcasts on any major podcast platforms, including Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. And you can also, right on that main homepage, get a, uh, you can download our show app. So what's cooking for next week, Ben? Well, uh, December 18th, geez, we're just flying through December here. Yep. We welcome New York author and researcher uh, Bruce Hallenbeck uh, to the first known witness to the Kinderhook Blob of the Hudson River Valley. That's really weird. I can't wait to hear about that. <laughs> I know, me too. I've, yeah. It's it's a fun name, and it's and it's it's even it just rolls right off the tongue. A real blob. But it, yeah. <laughs> blob, blob, blob. We leave you today with a thought from our contemporary British author and satirist, Sir Terry Pratchett. The trouble with having an open mind is that people will come along and insist on putting things in it. So I'm Paul Eno. (laughs) And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And we shall see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.